Hiring the wrong executive costs you time and money. Leveraging work psychology, Spear Consulting helps you hire the right executive so you can focus on growing your business. For a free quote, visit spiritmco.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Virtuous Heroes podcast, where we inspire virtuous leadership. So excited to be able to have Dr. Marcel Davis on the podcast today. She's a chief diversity officer, published author, graduate professor, public speaker, and consultant. Whew. And uh, <laughs> additionally, she's been recognized as a uh, 2022 top 100 healthcare diversity officer by Health Equity and Inclusion Conference. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Marcel. Did I miss anything? No. And I'm like, who are you talking about? I don't see myself that way. So it's like, okay, so maybe I am a little busy, but this, I'm so happy to be here with you. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, for those that don't know about your background, can you tell us a little bit how you, you know, got to the leadership position that you're in today? Wow. So my path is not exactly your traditional path, right? I was born in Georgetown, Guyana. So I'm a Caribbean girl by birth. Mm. Um, my mom moved us to this country when I was 11, and that was shortly after my dad passed away. And the things that I experienced as a tween and teenager really shaped my perspectives and, and the person that I am today. Um, when we left Guyana, my mom moved us to Brooklyn, New York, and immediately I noticed I was different. Didn't quite fit anywhere. I didn't fit with any race demographic and kids at that age, we all remember that teenage time, they can be really mean. And there was a lot of racial unrest in Brooklyn at that time. And while much of it went unnoticed, there were a few incidents that really marked that time that are literally burned into my memory as a teenager. So the first was the Willie Turks murder in June of 1982. And Turks was a black New York City transit worker who stopped at a bodega with a couple of his black coworkers. And they were confronted by a group of white men. And when they tried to avoid a conflict by leaving in their car, their car broke down. The mob of white men grew to approximately 15 or 20 and they dragged Turks out of the car and fatally beat him with clubs and bats. Mm. That was the first incident I remember being fairly new to Brooklyn. Um, there were after that numerous racial incidents in Howard Beach in, in Brooklyn for a few years. Then in 1987, Tawana Brawley was found in a garbage bag with feces smeared on her face, racial slurs written all over her body. And many believe that her allegations of rape were fabricated. And that caused a deep racial divide in New York. And I remember that. Um, that in 1989 was the Central Park rape when a white woman was jogging through Central Park and was attacked by five teenagers. There's a movie, a series about it now. Um, those teenagers were 14 to 16 years old. And even though there was no physical evidence linking them to the crime, they were all convicted. So those incidents, they all, I mean, compounded the way I felt. They all made me sad and angry all at the same time. And because I didn't quite fit with any racial demographic at that time, 
I wanted to learn and understand what all those, what fuel those incidents. Why were race relations so challenging in New York? And growing up in Georgetown, we didn't have those kinds of race relations. So it was completely new to me. So in my own effort to understand, I spent my high school and college years researching race relations in the arts, in the justice system, the economic system. Um, I looked at different authors, musicians, et cetera. I really wanted to understand. Um, and the more I learned, the more it fueled me to want to do something to make a difference and even be a voice for people who felt like they didn't have a voice. Because when people feel like they don't have a voice, they're failing themselves, right? Because they don't use it. They can't speak up and articulate what makes them happy, what they need to survive, much less thrive, right? And so you fast forward to me becoming a working adult. I'm an HR manager at Holland and Knight's Fort Lauderdale office. And they asked me to lead their diversity and inclusion initiative. That was the first time I actually started to do DEI work. And it lit a fire inside of me that grew with each passing year. So when I got recruited out of Holland and Knight from there to a full-time DNI role, I literally never looked back. Hmm. Now that was my work, right? Now let's look at education. That also wasn't a traditional path. It took what felt like at the time for me forever to accomplish. So I started college in 1987, took time off, went back, took time off, went back. I didn't get my bachelor's degree until 1995. So from 87 to 95, 10 years later, I got my MBA. By then I was already a mom. My daughter was a year old by the time I got my MBA. Hmm. And then in 2018, I got my doctoral degree in strategic leadership. So through all of those years, my work in DEI grew a little at a time with each role building on the one before it. And now today I have the privilege of leading DEI at BCU Health. And it is probably some of the most meaningful work that I've ever done in my life because it touches both team members at VCU Health and patients who come for care at VCU Health. And you mentioned earlier that I'm a published author. And that started really early on with the publication of poetry from when I was a teenager. Um, and then when I was in my doctoral program, my professors always told us, write your papers with an eye toward publication. And that was probably the best advice I ever got. So that's what I did. And I was blessed to have several papers from school published in various academic journals. And then in 2019, my dissertation was published into a book titled Measuring Inclusive Leadership with Grace. And Grace is a competency model that I developed and implemented in 2019. So people often look at me without knowing my story and knowing all the twists and turns that my career and life took to get me to where I am today. And they erroneously think, oh my gosh, Marcel has it all together. Or sometimes they think everything comes easy for me, but man, that's the furthest from the truth that it could ever get. And in fact, I don't take for a second, I don't take anything for granted because my path was so untraditional. 
And each day I get up, I don't take the day before for granted. My path wasn't traditional, but it was necessary because I learned leadership from people who were stellar leaders and those who weren't so nice. That's when I learned leadership is not a title, it's a behavior. And that's how I've become the person I am today. Awesome. I love it. Thank you for sharing. Um, So yeah, the two things that resonated, the first was that uh, if you're going to write a dissertation, you might as well be compensated for it instead of (laughs) your doctoral program with a bill. So that's excellent. And I I do think that's wonderful advice. And then the second thing is, you know, you, you talked about kind of like, you know, your, your own journey within DE and I and your own career development, just kind of curious as, as a sister in Christ, when did you uh, be able to, you know, kind of surrender your life to Christ and, and become a believer in, in that journey? Wow. What a powerful question. So I grew up in the church, mm-hmm. but in 1999, this is a really personal story. In 1999, I lost my first pregnancy Aww. and they were triplet boys. Aww. And I was angry with the Lord for a long time because how many times do we turn on the TV and we hear stories of children being killed and left someplace? And I'm like, Lord, why me? Right. I was, I was five months pregnant and I was angry for a long time and I was really depressed and it took a month of being in the house, not opening the windows. I didn't turn on the TV. My husband didn't know what to say to get me to come out of the funk I was in because he was in his own dark place. And I found a Christian website. And I made friends with people I didn't know. And they just started to send me prayers. Mm -hmm. And they personalized those prayers because I had named my sons. They personalized those prayers with my son's names. And that touched me in a place where I couldn't have imagined. And that literally began my walk back to Christ. Hmm. And (laughs) I now have a 16 year old daughter. She was my fifth pregnancy. So I lost additional pregnancies after my first. Um, But the Lord showed me visions before my daughter was born which is how I knew I would have a baby. Hmm. No one else saw those visions and I saw them out in public. No one else saw those signs, but me, my husband didn't even see them. So those were meant for me. My daughter, my 16 year old is a Christian. I've raised her to be that way but she has her own path and I don't take that for granted. So I constantly remind myself that while I want to think God gave her to me, he didn't give her to me for me. Hmm. He gave her to me to nurture her so that I can give her back to the world because she's here for the world, for what she can share and bring light too. Um, and she's, a, she's an interesting teenager. She, when teenagers around her 
use rather colorful language. She's always the first one to say, um, I'm sorry, but you know, the Lord hears everything. Mm. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And we have a, a lot of similarities in that too. Um, so I uh, am pr uh, presently, <laughs> so I have two boys uh, from their mom and then Han my current wife, Hannah, and I got married two years ago and we're actually in our fourth month of expecting. So your, your um, story definitely resonated well. Um, also the boy's mom, uh, you know, grew up as a believer and we're still working through that. So they kind of like live in two different worlds of like, you know, while they're with Hannah and I for half their lives, like, you know, just, you know, live, you know, seeing the gospel played out in, in everything that we do. And then, you know, basically like going to a public school and, and living a secular life for the other half of their lives. And so yeah. there's a lot of those same journeys that you talked about with your daughter that they, they go through and, and, you know, we, you know, do an examination of consciously each night, kind of walk through like where they were the best version of themselves, where they were the worst versions of themselves. And, and that. oftentimes like that is kind of where, you know, a lot of the times, it, you know, because they're 10 and seven, it's like being influenced by their friends when maybe like bad or crude language is being used and, and how to, you know, how to basically like, you know, interact with the world while still being, you know, otherworldly of being citizens of heaven and bringing yes. heaven down to earth. Um, so, so that is awesome. So thank you for sharing. Then the other thing, um, you know, I was just curious about as I was listening to your testimony on faith, just curious as yeah, I know you mentioned that you had lost triplets and then there was another baby lost before you had your daughter, which was the fifth. Yeah. Um, so can you speak to how, like how you were able to process the fourth differently from then the first three? I think, wow, powerful question. So. And let actually, me also, let me phrase that too, because I think it's, you know, not many, you know, not every single guest is going to have to have to go through losing a child uh, in the womb. But I do think that it is grief. And a lot of us will have to deal with, you know, being let go, being fired, you know, um, losing different positions in retirement. You know, if you have set your identity on your workplace, like you lose that. And so just being, you know, ultimately to me, it seems like that's something of, of having to grief the loss of something. Absolutely. Because when you think about birthing something, right, it's not always a child to your point. It could be an idea, a dream that God placed in your heart. And we know when it's time to birth something, when it's a dream or something that something tangible that we know the Lord has placed in our heart and we can feel when it's about to come to fruition. And it's almost at that time we're ready to birth. And so you're right. Loss doesn't always have to be the loss of a child. Um, and so because I think I fell so hard when I lost my three sons, um, the Lord positioned me as I began my walk back. He positioned me to understand that he would never give me something I can't handle. I have to learn to trust. And we all get in these places where we want to say the same prayer a million times because we feel like, okay, maybe he didn't hear me yesterday, but if I say the same prayer again today, he'll hear me today. Um, but that's not true. I believe in being specific in what I pray for. For example, my daughter, she has her own personal testimony, right? She's experienced grief from loss 
She's a competitive gymnast. She had double knee surgery. Mm. It's 19 months ago. She lost time in the gym. She felt the mental fatigue of maybe not coming back to gymnastics. So I think grounding ourselves, knowing and trusting that when the Lord takes something away from us, it's because he has something better. Now, the mother I could have been at the time I lost my triplet boys is not the same mother I am today. I know that now. I didn't know that then because I was selfish and I saw my pain through worldly eyes. But I had to endure that pain to come back into my walk and understand that when we lose something, it's because he's got something better. It's like that diamond in the rough. We have to go through the process. Don't beat ourselves up with the most uncomfortable times in our lives is when the blessing is the biggest. Hmm. I mean, my daughter, I was on bed rest the entire pregnancy. Yeah, that was hard. But in that time, I read the Bible every single day because I had the time. I decided what I wanted to do after she was born. I got significant clarity about my life and the kind of mom I wanted to be, the kind of wife I wanted to be the kind of woman I wanted to be and the life I wanted to lead. Because I realized I can't say I'm a Christian if my life doesn't reflect that. Hmm. Have you been feeling unfulfilled? You want to be happy, but just continue to struggle. One of the best ways to experience joy is by caring for the homeless. A charity I've grown to love, River of Light, food rescues a million meals per year for the needy in Chicago. Imagine how that make you feel, knowing that you're helping feed children and veterans. To make a tax-deductible donation, visit riverlightchicago.org. Again, riverlightchicago.org. No one should go to bed hungry. Wow. That is it seems like an incredible amount of blessing in that season, <laughs> too. Um, so, so I love that. Um, and thank you for, for sharing in that way. Um, I'm curious also, so we, you had talked a little, we started to talk a little bit about the book that you published, um, measuring inclusive leadership with grace. Can yes. you, can you walk us through that acronym? And then I'm also curious if you can maybe share an example of a leader that you've helped to embrace inclusion and the impact that it made on that, uh, individual's organization. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, the Lord has a funny sense of humor and actually, the book, the content for the book, I didn't know it then. I, I learned after my cousin told me it was a spiritual download. I struggled for months to understand what to write about. I had writer's block, no clue what to write. I kept thinking, I don't have that much to say. No one wants to hear that much of me talking in words in a book. And I was at gymnastics camp with my daughter one day, one um, couple years ago, and the AC in the, in the hotel gym wasn't working. And I'm processing, trying to, re- trying to realize what am I going to write about? And I go into the gym and I'm running and it's really hot. And I knew I wanted it to be about diversity, equity, and inclusion. 
but nothing came to mind. And as I'm running on the treadmill that day, I'm sweating profusely, right? Because the AC is broken. I took my palm to wipe my brow and immediately I knew what I would write about. Hmm. Grace, that competency model sits on the palm of your hand. Hmm. And each letter in the acronym represents a competency that an inclusive leader must have if they're going to lead inclusively. So G sits on the pinky and it's specifically designed, let me say, based on the strength of the digit, right? The finger. If the competency is strong enough to stand alone, it sits on a strong finger, but the, the pinky is G means grounded. Um, the pinky is the weakest digit of the hand. Um, it's no good by itself. We can't do anything with just the pinky. It's not much, much musculature in the pinky. So grounded means we're self-aware. We know our strengths and our weaknesses, but that's about it. If we pair it with the ring, ring finger, which is R for receptive, I'm self-aware, but receptive means I'm open to learning from others. I recognize that my perspective isn't the only perspective in the world. And I'm open to receiving what other people impart to me, gifts they want to share, nuggets, affirmations. So grounded, receptive. The middle finger is the longest finger of the hand and serves as almost like an axis. So A stands for agile, which allows leaders to pivot. If we learn nothing else from the pandemic, we learned that we can't be so short-sighted that we don't allow ourselves spaces to pivot and flex and be agile. So grounded, receptive, um, agile, the pointing finger is C for curious. The older we get, the less curious we are, the less questions we tend to ask. We stop asking why, but the more we ask why, the more we learn from one another. The thumb can touch any other finger. The thumb is E for ethical. If we lead ethically, we create order around us. We create followers around us who also function ethically. If you tie ethics with any other competency of grace, it makes that competency a thousand times stronger. Hmm. And so grace was literally a spiritual download. And that was my dissertation for school for my doctoral degree. Um, I published it um, and I, I've got scripture in there. It's available on Amazon if anyone wants to check it out. Um, it is something that's near and dear to me because of, I believe that it's the Lord's gift to me and I use it as an invitation to share my life, my testimony, um, my own personal journey, my story, because it's, it's something that makes me who I am. A leader who I brought to inclusion, who wasn't there. I had a leader who I reported to, and he knew me for six years. He always said when he met particularly women, particularly women of color who had the 
doctor title in front of their name. He never referred to them that way. Hmm. And he knew me. He knew the person I was. It, I ended up reporting to him. And he said to me one day when he was giving me quote unquote feedback, gosh, you smile every day you come to work. It's clear you love what you do. But can I really trust you? What's really behind your smile? This was a senior vice president at a large organization. And I said, well, you've known me for six years. You don't know if you can trust me. He hmm. said, okay, so I have another piece of feedback. Now that you have your doctoral degree, we think you're gonna act like you're better than everybody else. My first response was then you really don't know me at all. Because if you don't know me, then you don't know that I am incredibly humble because I grew up from humble beginnings. I'm the last of 10 children, Ooh. right? I mean, I spam was like a treat for us. Mm -hmm. I also grew up in a third, what's considered a third world country. We didn't have running water all day, every day. We didn't have electricity all day, every day. From humble beginnings to now, you would never see me anywhere where I introduce myself as Dr. Davis. That's not who I am. I would say I'm Marcel because I don't take stuff like that for granted. So what I did when he gave me those two pieces of quote unquote feedback, I said, okay, show me how that shows up in my work. Because if you can't connect that feedback to work, then that's a personal attack. In the moment, he didn't realize what I meant. And I was upset. I cried a lot because I was angry. I was hurt. I had worked there for, by that point, six and a half years. Conversation after conversation, I got him to understand that you can't attack someone personally in that manner in the workplace unless that particular weakness showed up in work and prevented them from doing a good job. Through conversations, I helped him to understand inclusion is not just about someone's skin color. Inclusion also means education, religion, family status. I mean, the list goes on and on. Until that point, I don't think he ever saw inclusion in such a broad sense. And so he's now retired. I ran into him at the mall after I stopped working at that organization. And the first thing he said to me was, thank you so much for sharing and helping me to connect what I thought were strengths and weaknesses to the person's job and how they showed up. He said, I didn't do that very well. And I'm glad you helped me to see that. Grace. Mm, that's beautiful. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah, I wonder how many leaders there are. I mean, there's still probably the 
many people out there that are, are working through some of the same challenges that your, you know, former leader uh, was struggling through. And uh, yeah, so thank you for, um, you know, publishing the book, Grace. And as you mentioned, it being available on Amazon, I just, you know, um, prompt our leaders to be able to check that out. I'm definitely going to be able to do that as well myself. I wanted to dive into kind of the, I guess, where we kind of see the the meat of the show around, you know, vices and virtues. And, and I think you've also, Dr. Davis, have already kind of touched upon a couple of different vices that you've had to, you know, grow through in order to be the leader that you are today. Is there anything else that you think was resonating with you as you were thinking about this show? Gosh, you know, when I, when I was preparing for today, the thing that kept coming up to me is, you know, when we think about vices, there are vices that, that we all have that as much as we want to overcome them, we can't, right? Because they, they're barriers and they're always going to be barriers. And like, for me, some of those are being a woman. That's a vice. Two, being a woman of color. Three, being a Caribbean woman. Because some people think you weren't born in this country. You're not as smart as me. Those are three things, three vices that I, I, I can't overcome them, no matter how hard I try. But the ones that I have overcome that are powerful for me is, you know, recognizing my voice matters, understanding my worth. And probably the most important one is standing up for myself. Because going back to something I said earlier, leadership, it's not a title, it's a behavior. Um, and I, I had to grow through that, right? Like that didn't come automatic for me. Learning how to stand up for myself, that wasn't easy. And in that moment, when I had to get that quote unquote feedback from that leader, that's when I learned. I, I learned that my voice mattered because I was so angry and so upset, I cried. I view that as a leadership fail because I let my emotion lead the way I responded. And instead, I left, I reflected, and I came back with, okay, I need to have a conversation with this particular leader. So I think the one that I've learned how to overcome, and it's still a daily chore, I say chore because sometimes it's hard, is remembering that my voice does matter. I do have value. And I have worth, and that's important to remember. Hmm. Yeah, the um, I'm just thinking, just kind of like you know, taking a second to reflect on that, and I, I think that it's easy, it's very easy to um, take the way that the world perceives you, and to use it as your own identity. Yes. And I yep. think many of us fall into that trap of, of, you know, allowing the traumas of life to define who we are. Yes. And that's ultimately the way that the kingdom of darkness works is like waiting for us to be traumatized and then implanting lies. And through yep. those lies, it, it, it um, uh, takes away our power from our identity as beloved children of God. Yep. And, being able to have resurrection power in our lives. 
I mean, that's a that's the last thing that the kingdom of darkness wants is us to be fully, uh, you know, empowered into our identities and to be wielding yeah. that type of power in this world. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, really, uh, really saddened to hear that, you know, that's something that you, you know, struggled with and something that you've had to overcome and walk through in your life. Um, so what about, uh, you know, as it relates to vice or virtues, what do you think are some of the natural ways that God has uh, gifted you in this world? Oh man. Um, so it's an ability to connect, right? So think about your work and how you have built a followership for Christ, right? I had no idea when your email popped into my email box that this would literally be a walk with Christ today, Hmm. right? So that ability to connect with other followers, that's something that I don't take for granted. That's the first thing. The second thing is um, servant leadership. Because I grew up with humble beginnings, I don't think incredibly highly of myself in the sense that I don't always put myself first. I need to make sure everyone around me has what they need before I worry about what I need. And we all know Jesus Jesus washed feet. The serve if the master can't serve That's problem number one. You have to learn how to serve in order to learn how to lead. And so servant leadership is something that I look for and I ground myself in. So servant leadership, the ability to connect, being honest, generous, ethical, fair, courageous. Those are all things that speak to the kingdom takes courage to say, I'm a believer. We don't know who's on the other side of Zoom or when we go into the store and we say that, right? It takes courage. But Jesus gave up his life for all of us. How dare we be afraid to say we follow him? How dare we? Mm. Right? And so Courage is something, it's not easy, but we have to trust that God has our back. Now, today, when my day started, two hours of sleep, I thought, oh my gosh, I've got meeting after meeting after meeting. And look, before I get to the middle of my day, I get to have a walk with Christ with you. For a second, it's like, wait, I'm not even tired anymore. Somehow us connecting for your listeners to talk about Christ. I am so energized. I'm good. It's like, I feel like I slept all night. Let's go. That's what we try to do here. Inspire virtuous leadership and give uh, jolts of electricity yes. in our, in our uh, guests' uh, hearts uh, for the day. So that's awesome. So let's uh, launch into prayer. Uh, why don't you answer this question and I'll start in prayer. And then you can take it from there to, you know, pray for our, uh, the, the people listening today. So what's the biggest challenge in your life presently? 
the biggest challenge is remembering that I have a voice. Hmm. Yeah, every day. And teaching my 16-year-old daughter that she also has a voice. Um, and that's not easy, right? Because she's a young girl of color. She's a competitive gymnast, level nine. She just competed at regionals. And you can count how many girls look like her with her skin color. None of the judges look like her. Most times the judging is unfair. And I have the task of explaining to her, you know what, sweet pea? It's okay. You know how you did. The Lord knows how you did. They know how you did. But your score may not reflect it and it's okay. That's hard. Um, so remembering I have a voice and, and teaching my young daughter of color that she also has a voice. All right. So Lord, we, we just take this uh, challenge to prayer. We come into your courts, Lord, covered in the blood that Jesus spilled on the cross. Lord, I, I, um, you know, present Dr. Davis's case against the accuser saying that she doesn't have a voice, that she doesn't have worth. That Lord, I, I just pray that you would make a judgment for her and that uh, you would quiet that accuser in her life so that she can continue to walk in her identity as your most beloved daughter of the Most High King. And Father, I thank you for this ruling on her behalf, sending this scroll into my spirit to execute on earth and sending holy angels to execute this as well. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the work that you've done on the cross so that we, as your believers, have resurrection power that we can lean into, knowing that our prayers are so incredibly powerful and that your response is yes and amen. We thank you, Lord. We praise your name, God, and thank you for the way that you've brought Dr. Davis into my own life to inspire me to be a more inclusive leader and uh, the way that she's going to be blessing the audience for uh, the Virtuous Heroes podcast as well. Amen. Christopher, if I can add to your prayer, Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity today with Christopher and his listeners. This was not at all what I thought it was. And boy, am I grateful that I responded to that email. I'm grateful that you woke me up this morning and gave me the ability, the technology, the wherewithal to be able to connect with Christopher and all of his listeners. Thank you for all of the amazing work that he is doing. Because Lord, if we build your church through this podcast, it's global. There is no end to the work your followers can do to build your church in every single corner of the world. Bless the people who listen to this podcast, that whatever information I can share, if I can change and influence one person today and every day going forward, that I have done a purposeful thing. Touch Christopher, give him the wisdom to know who to connect to, when he sees a name, Lord, you know, you know who that person is. You know what he needs to do to build your church. Give him the energy that he needs. Give him the resources that he needs to continue to build your church. Bless his family, bless the families of all of his listeners so that they may continue 
to spread your word through their own testimony. Let not anyone be afraid. Let us all see ourselves the way you see us. Give us the courage that we need to never be ashamed to say we follow Christ. Let us always look to you for you direct our steps and guide our path. Let us always remember who we are, whose we are, and how we show up every day is a living testimony to you. Thank you for this time, this fellowship. I ask this mercy and favor and grace in your name. Amen. 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 Well, Dr. Davis, I was, uh, as you were praying, uh, I was getting this image of tulips and I was like, okay, Lord, what are you trying to say for her through that? And uh, what I feel like what I was discerning is that, you know, we're, we're currently in the, in the spring while we're recording this for those that if it's published later, uh, but in Chicago, um, you know, we've just kind of come off like at this long, it's like, we're like flip-flopping through like what can be like chilly winter weather and then into spring weather. It's kind of unique. But one of my favorite things that I like to do as I'm like driving around is like looking for, for God's color and flowers that are, are in bloom. Cause there's not that many. It, we're still kind of like early in the, the season for that. But then you see like these beautiful tulips that are just like springing forth. And uh, I feel like the Lord is saying like that, that you are his tulip, um, Marcel, like specifically like, you know, that we have to, you know, that, that seeds have to be planted into the ground and they don't, you know, that's not the, the easiest of beginnings in order to come through the dirt and then to be able to spring forth and give life in the way that it does. And I feel like the Lord is just saying, like, you know, you might have had a really uh, difficult beginnings that you've had to persevere through to have that uh, that resurrection power in your life to be able to shine forth. But in the way and the work that you're doing now and being able to bring his kingdom to earth is the same way that just looking at the beauty of a tulip brings, you know, that enlightenment and just um, that joy into your hearts. And so I just, I just bless you with that, my sister in Christ. Thank you. I received that. Oh my gosh. Tulips are beautiful and they're delicate and they're here, but for a moment, um, but their memories are beautiful long after they're gone. And so I thank you for that. And I received that. Awesome. Well, thank you for watching us on the Virtuous Heroes podcast, where we inspire virtuous leadership and look forward to continuing the dialogue with you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Hey, Chris here. Hope you enjoyed this episode. To continue to grow in virtue, will you please subscribe to the Virtuous Heroes podcast on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify? Or you could also visit us on the web at www.spiritmco.com. That would be tubular. Hope you have an awesome day.